Uh, welcome, Jonathan, to the second episode of uh, Data Minds. Uh, it's a podcast to get to know the people behind all the data projects that are going on in Belgium. Uh, uh, first of all, I would like to say thanks for contacting me. You were, you were interested to You're share welcome. your welcome. experience. Happy and, to and, be here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so, so as usual, I got a list of questions prepared, but make this as free as you want it to be. Just talk about the things that you think are interesting that you want to share about um, your experience working with data for quite a while now, right? Yeah. Um, so may maybe let's begin there. Um, uh, let let's start with your personal story. Um, uh, what did you study? How did you roll into this world of data and and everything up to the creation of your company. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Jonathan is the founder and CEO of uh, RoboVision, one of the most well-known AI companies here in Belgium, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let, let's start there. What's uh, how, how did you get there? Well, I was always interested in the true nature of uh, who we are and what we do here. So uh, more of a philosophical foundation. And uh, by doing so, you end up by thinking on a deep level of what, uh, who are we and why can we think? So what is intelligence and, and how can we understand our surroundings? And in doing so, I realized that the world of mathematics was key to that uh, insight. So I decided to study uh, applied physics, which is, of course, very mathematical, uh, engineering, and to really dive deep into the world of AI, which was in the 90s. So. There was not so much talk about AI, it was not yet hyped, but I strongly believe that um, especially with computer vision, uh, everything related to image processing, there would be an era where this would be extremely important. And a few years ago this era started and I'm really happy that I'm there with a the team and uh, picking the low-hanging fruit right now because there is a lot of low-hanging fruit, also high-hanging fruit. But uh, my data component is, is everything visual, everything which is there, uh, how to acquire it, how to process it and how to get intelligence out of it. Uh, and, and my driver in life is really to understand why we are here. And, and I see my company and also my team also has a vehicle for intellectual uh, insights. So okay. um, I'm not purely there for the, the money and the the business side of it, I truly think that what I do is extremely interesting from an intellectual point of view uh, and is uh, world changing and, and is a key to um, yeah, innovating society for a better life for everyone, for my children, your children and for everybody living on this planet. Cool. That's a very nice vision. So. Um, before starting uh, RoboVision, did you um, did you already work at other companies or no um, no I I, uh, I started with studying applied physics but soon I um, I realized that uh, it was not exactly what I wanted because it was extremely theoretical so uh, we learned a lot about Schrodinger and, and coefficient uh, calculations and complicated equations but what I wanted to learn was this interface between biology and and how biology computes stuff so i decided to go to um, the ath zurich um, university of uh, zurich which is um, regarded as the mit of europe and at the time that i arrived there 1999 they were just founding a new institute the institute of neuroinformatics uh, which really uh, was a very very uh, ambitious project to explore the boundaries of our brain and to see what engineers could learn from the computational processes in our brain. And 
One very interesting thing there is the pathway, the visual pathway. So how we observe things and how mm. they are processed. And because observation is so, uh, how could I say, straightforward, uh, if a cat looks at a mouse, we know that somewhere a mouse is the focus in the cat's brain. So they were like really analyzing these cat brains, uh, uh, downloading information from their cortex feed 21. So how they observed mice. And, um, and actually in those kind of labs, the concept of deep learning was born because uh, what we as researchers then uh, soon realized was that uh, information was processed in a layered way and that uh, the deeper you got into the brain, the more abstract the concepts became. Uh, and in a way, the, the movement which was, I mean, um, started by Andrew and G and Fei Fei Li about 2006, 2007, called Deep Learning, the first big ImageNet competitions, which were, I mean, uh, won uh, by Deep Learning, were a little bit later, but it was all inspired by, by biology in a way, because uh, neural networks were there for a long time. Uh, but this, this combination of um, yeah, non-linear processing, localized non-linear processing, and the stacked way of doing it is, is very much inspired by how our brain works. And I mean, I was very inspired by computers and, and, and how yeah, calculation was done when I was a young boy. I mean, I was really programming games and so when I was 10, um, Cool. on a Mac, which was kind of hard because I had to program it in HyperTalk. Um, <laughs> Never even heard of that HyperTalk. Yeah, yeah indeed. Cool. Uh, but in a way, this von Neumann machine, which was the classic uh, yeah, paradigm in computation, it really infested unknowingly the brains of many young engineers. And they thought that computation could only be done by a processor in a way that you just process registers and that you use the data to and, and the instruction sets all in the memory to do it in a sequential way. And that led to the true belief that um, yeah, computational stuff was linear and was actually done sequentially. But that's absolutely not how it's done by the brain. So at some point, the GPU came into uh, play. Mm. Uh, I think the first one that really started to leverage was, uh, was Andrew and G at the time, 2000 nine more or less um, and this GPU was made for massively parallel operations yeah um, and was very easy to use because people this this gaming market this gaming ecosystem was a very um, yeah, very healthy very aggressive uh, competition driven market so all of these APIs and all of these instruction sets needed to be extremely handy to use to enable this market and to sell ultimately more GPUs and and at that point yeah, they were actually misused for massive parallel operations. And that's how, yeah, how this whole disruption was born. First in academia, but because of the Silicon Valley giants needing a lot of, of, of smart people, it was absorbed by the Twitters, the Facebooks, the Googles of this planet. And, and, and there something really strange happened. There was a, a massive wave of open source um, yeah, 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 yeah publishing with TensorFlow and so on. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was fantastic what is happening still right now. Uh, there is just a, a Cambrian explosion in intelligence. Um, I mean, it's it's really disruptive. And I see that one of your next questions is is the hype uh, 
uh, of course it's a hype we yesterday had a meeting with Gardner and uh, and you know yeah. Gardner of the yeah, hype yeah, cycle uh, so we're talking like oh uh, where are we now in the hype cycle yeah uh, but yeah I mean look at the internet at some point it was also a hype but it lived up to its promises uh, mobile was also hype, but it lived to its promises and the same with uh, with advanced AI um, I mean I also clearly want to state that the the term AI is is actually kind of a difficult to use term because it's too too broad. It it it's a it's very ill defined, uh, mm. and it it's there for many years since 1956. It was actually posed as an ambition of humanity by Professor McCarthy in Dartmouth College. So, actually, what I mean with this AI is 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 most of all this this advanced stuff that was created or actually being reused in, in a much more scalable and smart way in the last 10 years and which is de facto deep learning yeah so and and your company was based on that premise right on, yes, on, on yes. AI. so just for my understanding when you do projects you never look at things or it's never relevant for you to look at things like more traditional machine learning techniques like i need yes a logistic we do i mean or, uh, you do look yeah yeah, yeah, yeah of course i mean yeah. uh, otherwise we are hyping ourselves if we only talk about deep learning <laughs> to an extent that is true because yeah. I mean we have this label of, of being the deep learning company of, of Benelux um, but in a way we were frustrated how we did our business in the past um, okay. and because it was very project based but we wanted to do the most difficult projects one after another and the thing with those projects was that we needed our smartest people to be there for longer periods of time I mean yeah. Tim, my CTO, was was in Mexico for three weeks because he needed to tweak all the stuff and so on. That we realized that we we could never scale ourselves to a multiple if we kept on doing business as usual, project based. So at some point we just took the collection of all the projects we've done historically, mm -hmm. and we said like, let's make a platform out of it where other people, integrators and resellers, are able just to configure our platform. And generate intelligence and this you cannot do with uh, normal vision programming uh, heuristic programming decision trees thresholds and so on you can only do that with a revolutionary technology which is deep learning and we were very early on we, we programmed the first frameworks in Teano and uh, that, that's still around uh, Teano is still well it's or? still around but it's uh, discontinued so um, okay. yeah it's yeah, yeah. it's not it's it's there is no contribution it's just now the last commit is something like one year and a half or two years ago i guess could be wrong but and and, and that was a competitor to tensorflow or that it was the predecessor of tensorflow predecessor. Yeah, yeah. yeah so theano came from i mean with theano lasagna was also uh, created and this philosophy of easily configuring um Complicated neural networks was actually born in in, in Ghent uh, oh, wow. on the on the on the campus where we are in ID Lab. Um, people like Sander Dieleman were actually founders of the first wave of making these neural networks more easy to configure. And and this Teano and Lasagne ended up in TensorFlow and in, in, in uh, yeah in more general more broadly supported um, yeah frameworks. And, and so. The, that brings us to, to your company. You said you offer a, a platform where people yes. can, they don't need to know the intrinsic details. They just configure it. Can you walk yes. me through it? So if I'm a client, how, how would that work? Well, the whole thing is that this advanced AI mm -hmm. 
is at this moment quite complicated to configure. You have deep learning servers of 16 GPUs. You need uh, the storage connected to it, uh, very high-end storage, so no, not, not normal hard drives. You need specific topology. You need uh, on the cloud, you need uh, this Docker orchestration and everything. Yeah. Um, and our, th our goal as a company is to make the lives of our customers more easy okay. and to, to get this customer journey um, in a very compact way, this go-to-market, go to this, this typical um, from an MVP to, to a product for our customers to get it really, uh, really compact and quick. So, and to do that, you need, a, you need a customer journey, you need a platform that really enables you at each of these sub-steps uh, to uh, get from your data lake through your product, through your inference, to your model, yeah. your intelligence, um, yeah, in, in a scalable way. Mm. So that starts with data curation. Um, many of our customers have hundreds of thousands of images and they need to curate it, to, yeah. to be curated. So you need to go through quite some of them. Yeah. So you need the tools um, to um, evaluate whether your labelers are not biased and doing their job well. Because if you have like thousand labelers, you cannot survive, uh, survey that as, a, as an engineer and know what, what goes wrong. But the, the quality of your final models is very much depending on your data creation. Yeah. So it's extremely important that you prevent a garbage in, garbage out situation. Yeah. And, and that is what we manage. Actually, we are the prevention team for garbage in. So this whole management of, of the labeling crowd, this whole um, yeah, surveillance of, of how people could be biased and so on. Um, I mean, you, you can imagine that a woman is labeling some particular aesthetical data in another way as a man, Absolutely. but you need to know that. I mean, yeah. uh, apart from the fact that we're different, uh, men and women, it could also be different at looking at data. So, but not only men and women, but also cultural. So it's extremely important that the models that will um, really have an important role in the society of tomorrow are transparent and that we know how they came to be. And that's what you guys do. You follow up on all the labeling that happens before the data is thrown at the model. So you, you understand if there are some biases there. Uh, but not only that, because that was only the start of my yeah. uh, okay. journey, well, sorry, continue. the platform. Yeah. Uh, if this data is labeled, yeah. uh, at that point, you can choose from our platform, from our model zoo, which label works best. You don't need to be a data scientist. You just click and you can just run a training session on a complicated piece of hardware mm -hmm. or in the cloud, Google, Microsoft, uh, mm -hmm. our partners. Um, then you can just see the result. You can just test on, on new data or, or data that you put aside before the training session. Um, you can test it, you can challenge it, you can redo it, mm -hmm. uh, you can repair it in case you notice that something's tricky going on and, and that uh, there was some data badly labeled. Mm -hmm. And then you can also put it into production. So this whole train of starting from the image series or video series or X-ray uh, data set or 3D data set, this whole journey is managed by our platform, which is an as a service platform. So you pay a fee for using that platform uh, based on your consumption, based on 
yeah on how yeah. many machines you set how complicated the the models are yeah. and so you you take if, if if i understand well and correct me if i'm wrong there so you take care of everything from labeling the data training the model to actually running the model on new data coming in well to say that we take care of everything is wrong okay the customer can decide and in many cases he has to deliver the expertise so for instance in healthcare we're not going to label complicated pathology yeah we're not certified for that our no. platform is not certified for clinical studies but um, we are enabling our customers to use our tooling to get from a to z in a in a smooth sailing kind of way okay cool and so you mentioned one sector there healthcare which, which benefit from from ai can you name other sectors that that in your experience are more let's say more suited for current ai technologies agriculture so uh, our main actually our, our global coverage is agriculture okay. um, we have machines in japan uh, australia california um, even in canada and brazil um, and what happens there mm -hmm. is that our customers want full flexibility on the type of stem cuttings so parts of plants which start yeah. to grow again when you take them off the mother plant yeah. um, and want to have full flexibility on, on any kind of plant breed that can be yeah, distinguished or can be selected with a robot and put into the soil okay so I'm going to ask a stupid question there, but let's take that use case as an example. So what you get as input is images of um, plants with, with their stems and and then your your algorithm decides if it's right to be cut or how, how does that Well, work? It, it, it decides where the optimal location is, where the robot has to pick up the stem to put it into the soil. If it's... If it's uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. but you can see it on the website. There are ah, plenty okay. of videos of that. Cool. So, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to the video then in the yeah, description. Yeah. That would be very nice. So, agriculture, health, the other industries that you see um, benefiting from this, maybe manufacturing. Or? Manufacturing, yeah. yeah. Of course. Second pole uh, in our, um, I mean, yeah. verticals. Yeah. Uh, manufacturing is an obvious choice because uh, because products are getting more and more uh, into. Um, how could I say varieties uh, if you buy a car you can select all kind of options and so on so that leads to all kinds of quality detection challenges yes and also there deep learning comes to play so um, that's something where we also are heavily focused on making partnerships uh, trying to get this coverage as global as in agriculture and that's um, where the specific algorithms that are engineered by humans are always yeah, how could I say, are not flexible enough for yeah, product varieties or, and so on and so on. So yeah. we, we solve a problem in the quality inspection in manufacturing, uh, which is man-force. There are not enough software engineers to create all the algorithms to do the quality inspection of our new products. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and do you see in your experience, is it... The, the deep learning algorithms they, they outperform the, the let's say the more human engineered algorithms yes yes yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. very uh, with a yeah significantly yeah I mean significantly yeah. and it's also logical in a way because a, a human mind has to abstract the situation yeah. but we're very limited in time to think about problems we 
as engineers, we have a, a natural tendency of simplifying situations because we don't want to have 204 features to manage also in our thresholds and so on. Um, because we don't want to spend years on a spe specific vision algorithm. So this is solved by deep learning because deep learning has virtually many years and decades to solve this thing. It can go through all these features, it can, it can um, challenge them, it can choose one feature over another and that's exactly what happens. Uh, like um, the whole philosophy to think about complexity deeply changed with deep learning. Okay. Okay. And I, I'll explain you why. Because um, normally, if you have a problem, the more sensors you uh, put on that problem, mm -hmm. the more complicated it gets. Because you have to understand all this sensorial information. Yes. For instance, um, in a normal camera, you have three channels, red, green, and blue, um, which is kind of similar in human brains. We also have this, uh, or mammalian brains, we also have this sensitivity for these three colors. But if you look at uh, yeah, a, a hyperspectral imaging, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you have much more frequency bands. Yeah, absolutely. But as humans, we don't understand them no. because we just think, oh, that's a bit reddish. But it actually, it's, <laughs> it's actually some, some frequency band which we have no affinity with. I mean, imagine that you can see electromagnetical um, waves. Yeah. It would be truly interesting because you could see interferences with with metallic constructions in your construction it would after a while you would understand why your cellular phone is not working because you would correlate these things but because we don't have the sensors yeah we're not used to that kind of inference and we're only yeah have to uh, yeah we know at some places in our heart that uh, house that it's just not working yeah so deep learning has no problem with that so the bigger the haystack the better for deep learning because it can just cherry pick those features that are needed to solve the problem. And that's a fundamental difference with the human mind is that this technology has the potential to go further than human intelligence. Yeah. It's not yet there, to be clear, but it's in some cases already working better than the best specialists on Earth. Yeah. And, and so maybe that's another important difference that you mentioned there is it's about finding or selecting features in, in deep learning is the algorithm who finds the features itself, right? Yeah, well, in, yeah. in traditional machine learning, it's it's up to humans to come up with hypotheses, like what could impact exactly. this? Well, maybe let's calculate exactly. a feature here. You have to choose yeah. that you will use a support vector machine. Exactly. You, has to, you have to choose whether to use random forest approach or yeah. hidden Markov modeling. But that is already a very biased choice, you Absolutely. understand? Maybe you're just wrong or maybe you're lazy. So, or, 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 I mean, and that's also reality, um, in everywhere is that maybe you just don't know enough deep down inside how these algorithms work to make a good decision, right? That's yes. also real. Yeah. Not everybody is a professor of data science before they do their first data science exactly. project, right? Exactly. That's, yeah. that's just reality. Yeah. What I also see a lot in, in, in companies is that they, they spend quite a lot of time, engineering time and just money yeah. on just feature building, right? Yes, um, I, I, I still think that's valuable. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we should throw all of that away, but granted, if, if the deep learning approach works, you can save so much engineering time. Yeah, right? And, and it's, it's what's crazy. happening right now. So if you go to an arbitrary conference, let's say telecommunication, so yeah. expertise in, in putting and building antennas for cellular phones. Yeah. What you see right now is that um, decades of research, decades of modeling, 
based on some physics and some human intuition how to build the model yeah. is just thrown away by applying deep learning on data sets and it's it must be frustrating for many of these researchers yeah. to just yeah come to the realization that their work has been in vain to some extent well in vain we, we found something better right that, that, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. i mean that's that's how it goes with everything right like um a couple of years ago, Teano was still a thing. Now it's not a thing anymore, but it lives on within TensorFlow, and at least the logic of it yes. apparently still lives on. So, that, I guess that's just life, right? Yeah. Um, one story I, I really like is that I'm, I'm I follow a little bit the chess the chess world. I'm, I'm not a good player at all, but um, the story I like there is that well, the old chess engines were already beating the the, the grandmaster, so that was nothing yeah. special there. But the 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 real experts in chess found it very boring because they couldn't understand those engines. It was very non-intuitive. While now with, with um, uh, the new deep learning chess engines from uh, from Google, what was it, DeepMind or something? Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, um, they do play in an intuitive way like humans would play, but then only 10 times better. Yes. So yes. now, like chess grandmasters are looking at the how are they doing how are they dealing with these, yes, and these exactly. openings and yeah. and humans are learning from how the machine yes, exactly uh, and that's that's eye-opening it's also in the yeah. alpha go documentary yeah alpha go that, yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah. that sudol the the grandmaster at some yeah. point became emotional because he saw the aesthetics of a genius mm. um yeah yeah movement on the, on the table yeah that's pretty cool right yeah, yeah. yeah and that's that's to go back to my roots that's the reason I'm in this field, oh, you understand? So cool. yeah. Because we all know that uh, family members are from the media, from the time that the human mind starts to degrade uh, or decay, yeah, yeah. Uh, for instance, with dementia or, or those kind of things, we're also losing connection to us, to, to I almost said the soul, but I'm not religious, uh, but, yeah, yeah, but, but, I, but I you, know, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's if you don't have this mirror of reflection, if you cannot uh, reflect your memes, in another human being and get the response to your memes you don't you have a less conscient interaction i mean Absolutely. with a chicken you have a less conscious interaction because you know that if you throw food the chicken will start to eat the food i mean yeah. but yeah. the whole the true nature of, of of human consciousness is strongly linked to our intelligence you yeah. understand and that's also related to one of the biggest questions in ai will there ever be a conscient AI? And that's the reason I do this stuff, one of the reasons. And what do you think the answer is? Well, I'm sure there will be a conscient AI engine, and, and uh, okay. but it will not live in silicon probably. But, but I mean, it's, it's also related to the fact if we could create artificial life. I mean, if, yeah. if at some point we can compile life and it can start to interact with us, yeah, then, then we'll be quite, uh, how could I say, uh, special. So maybe that, that that brings me to the to the next question I had on, on on the paper. There is that clearly you are very positive and exciting about all the opportunities that AI brings, and and you're putting it in reality, which is very nice to see because well, it's always nice to dream about possibilities. But what I like about your story is that you're you're a dreamer, but you're also a doer, right? You, yes, you, yes. You're yeah. like both feet on the ground, actually working with clients, trying to make their well their products better, their solutions better. Yes. On the other side of the spectrum, there must also be people who are much more skeptical. skeptical of course, of, AI, of course, right? healthy. Yeah. It's healthy. Yeah. It's, it's how democracy works. It yeah. works. It's how uh, society is supposed to function at its best. It's it's by differing opinions. And what do you see there as as 
maybe one of the risks of AI or top risks? Are you are you concerned at all about? Yes, I am. I am. I mean, of course, I could also be very negative here, but it's just how you how you approach the reality of of, of the potential of AI. Let's mm -hmm. not call it AI as such. There is still a lot of potential to be executed. Um, yeah, of course, there are. are I mean, the, the the militarization of AI is is something. Yeah, extremely creepy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the because it's not only about the militarization of AI; it's about vulnerability. You understand? Yeah. What creeps me out, and I don't know if you would call it AI or not, but if you see the latest videos of Boston Dynamics, where they have this robot and they can do flip flops and they can they can run better than humans, they can jump, they can. Yeah, but it's not AI. It's it's. I mean, many okay. of these systems are, are feed-forward intelligence and, and just uh, simulation. Um, what, what, sorry, so for me, but probably also for some of the audience, what do you mean with feed-forward uh, systems? Uh, how is it different from Well, it, it's, it's very engineered by humans what works as a flip-flop. Uh, and I, I doubt that they have like uh, 10,000 of boss dynamic dogs that just were uh, destroying themselves before they had the good model. So. Um, Probably some of the stuff has been done with reinforcement learning, but what I focus on in AI this, this, uh, discussions is exactly the autonomous part, the fact that you can do and create stuff that you couldn't do as a human being analyzing the problem, yeah. uh, whether from, from speech analysis or, or, or algorithm design and inspection, uh, quality inspection. What I just mean is that um, I'm mostly talking about this autonomy hmm. and and what you see in Boston dynamic is is at this moment not autonomous it's just very coded by by uh, teams of engineers yeah, yeah how to do a flip flop well you have to press your leg like that yeah yeah indeed yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and so when you talk about autonomy um, you, you talked about reinforcement learning and that is and correct me again if I'm wrong that that is the notion where you just give the machine a target and yes, he will exactly. figure out himself exactly. how so, to get there. Yeah, yeah. Unsupervised learning. Yeah. You don't have labeled data. You just have uh, a system where where the agent can test out um, failure and success. Yeah. And and all of the projects you do are most are they all reinforcement learning? No, or no. No, they're no. mostly supervised learning, A to B mapping, yeah. because that works best in the industry. You can also come up with systems that are then 99.99%. And reinforcement learning is is good, but but industrial applications at this moment are fairly limited because of the fact that you need a lot of compute. And yeah, um, I can imagine it, autonomous driving. You have reinforcement learning, yeah. but it's not yet there. Yeah. Well, and I guess a, a prerequisite prerequisite for that is that you need some kind of. I don't know how you want to call it, but a digital twin or something where you can simulate yes. your environment, right? Yes. You can't do well if, if you're very rich, you can do reinforcement lear learning in the real world, but I, I guess it's much much cheaper if you can do it in yeah, the digital yeah. world, right? Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe that brings us to the next topic, because well, you do AI, but you also do well, you do AI on GPUs, right? That's what that's what you told earlier. Can you explain a bit? Like. I, I can run TensorFlow on my laptop on, on a normal processor, right? So what, what's the difference there? Why? What is the value that GPUs bring there? The massive parallelism of your compute uh, while training and, okay. and while inferring uh, the models. So uh, a processor, as I 
uh, told you earlier is, is based on the von Neumann paradigm where... And can you is, explain that as well maybe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So a typical processor is a computational unit mm -hmm. that takes uh, instructions from the memory and data from the memory called registers. So yes. the, 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 the very early programs that were there were all written in assembler because there were no languages like meta languages where you could do the if then else stuff in, in a more structured way. And, and that was actually the movement of registers, like, like chunks of memory that you move from one to another. And in that way, you force the system to be very sequential. You force your algorithm to be very sequential. And with the GPU, you can calculate zillions of neurons at the same time. And that's what you need. Because if, we, if a photon moves, uh, I mean, propagates as an information wave through our brains, mm -hmm. a lot of neurons are touched at the same moment you understand so yeah. you need this kind of dynamic calculations where a lot of stuff is updated at the same time yeah and and in a way the gpu is only intermediary towards the real goal of computation that's the quantum computer because with the quantum computer you even have less challenges of updating data at the same time you can do it faster than the speed of light Okay, okay. And well, I, I've read a bit about quantum computing, but is it really coming, you think? I, I, I guess it's still in a very experimental phase. It's, it's very experimental, but yeah. the power is, is so huge that we have to start uh, fearing the, the encryption disaster that will come because all of the keys that we now have, the 128-bit and 256-bit key systems, yeah, will be just be broken by quantum computing. Yeah, I heard about that as well. There was also, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, he's a big believer of quantum computing. And he thinks yes. that is the next big wave to come. Yeah, You're yeah. waiting for that as well. Well, I'm a physicist, so I was my, my very first book when I was 13 years old uh, was the, the, Schrodinger, <laughs> the Schrodinger Cat. So yeah. uh, from that moment, it was actually not because of physics. It was just uh, an inspiring cover where this cat was both alive and both dead that I was like, I want to understand that uh, that yeah. stuff. I still then, don't understand. I, it, so. I, I was about to ask because I'm, I'm I'm not a physicist at all, but I, yeah. I I try to understand like the double slit experiment and like yeah. these YouTube videos that go around and yeah. it, it, it well it just blows my mind every time yeah. I see it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, but so let's let's take one step back to GPU programming, where it's reality today. Uh, I saw on, on LinkedIn or on your website that you're working with NVIDIA and they, they ship like this big box to you and then yes, yes. you put it in your rack. Uh, what's so special about that big NVIDIA machine? Well, a lot about the GPU is the memory because mm -hmm. you need like extremely fast memory to do, to update these, these virtual neurons in an efficient way. So one way to do it is to uh, limit the data pulses that you give your system. So it's called batches in, in deep learning, mm -hmm. uh, the batch size. Um, but for many applications, for many um, yeah, advanced training sessions, uh, you cannot simply reduce the batch size to, to, to limited amounts uh, because you need very big batch sizes to, to actually update these neurons in, a, in an efficient way. Okay. So uh, what did NVIDIA do? They created an ultra-fast... GPU system, which can be regarded as one big GPU, like the DGX2. So you have 16 times 32 gigabyte, uh, and they're interconnected in many 
uh, efficient ways with a system called NVLink. And they make sure that if you want to do a training efficiently, you can just give it a huge batch size. And, and these kind of things are needed, for instance, for autonomous driving. So if you look at the company Tenuity, for instance, uh, a Volvo joint venture okay. focused on autonomous driving, those kind of companies are buying such systems one after another because the only way to combine all this LiDAR uh, thermal and, and 3D information, visual information of their test driving vehicles is with systems that have a huge amount of memory. And in such a way, they can create bigger batch sizes. Yeah, I see. And, and, and is that also what makes it different from what the cloud offerings are having? Because Amazon, well, Google and, and, well, and they, Microsoft they are all offering something similar in my view. Well, the, they are at this point in time, the cloud offerings are much more siloed. They are like offering you collections of GPUs, but the interconnects are not as fast as a DGX2 system. You have companies that just offer the DGX2 in their backend, but if you have a 16G GPU system of Amazon, then it's not so fast as a DGX2. You, we have benchmarked it because of the interconnects, because of the, yeah. the, 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 um, the things. I mean, cloud companies need to be very efficient, so cost efficient as well. They yeah. have to yeah, think about power. They have to think about all kinds of issues that if you are high end, you're not so bothered with. You understand? You just yeah. want your deep learning model to be top notch and yeah. you're you're ready to make the investment. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the hardware cost is, is, is not a main driving factor for you. You just need to solve the, the problem. Again. Yes, yes. Because it only starts there, this, the story. Yeah? I mean, you have this DGX2s, I mean, which is the most high end one in, in the NVIDIA gamma. But then you have you can interconnect them with, with lots of, of, of DGX2s okay. and then you need ultra-fast storage to get your data in a fast way to your deep learning uh, system, which is updating its weights uh, each time. Uh, so you, you have all kind of next-level architectures uh, challenges that need to be solved. You need uh, infiniband routers, uh, like yeah. extremely fast routers, um, and you need extremely fast storage to provide this data. So the typical ecosystem which is being created to, uh, to solve these challenging problems is, is very interesting also. And can you, I don't know if this is public information, but if I want to buy such a system, I, I like it. What are the prices we're talking about here? Um, you have to, DGX2 is, is, is 360,000 euros and then you need you also need support and that's uh, for the box that you received in yeah, your yeah, 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 wow yeah, yeah, yeah. DGX1 is um, 100 about 140,000 euros uh, yeah. so it's really targeted at the high end use cases uh, not necessarily because okay. fairly small teams are also <laughs> buying our systems it's just depending on your business needs yeah. so i mean a car is also quite costly yeah? and, and everybody's yeah. using cars. I mean, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> no, no, that is true. Especially if, if, if you, well, if you look at manufacturing, they, they're used to buying huge machines, which cost millions. Um, and then if you say, well, I, I need this GPU powerhouse of 360K. Yeah. It probably doesn't, doesn't really, uh, is flagged as out of the ordinary, I guess, if you get the value out, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. All right. Um, and then, um, Maybe one other concept I, I heard a lot about, again, I'm not an AI specialist, is that uh, Google launched these TPUs. Yes. Is that 
something different from GPUs and how are they different? Uh, well, they are dedicated system for, uh, systems for deep learning, meaning uh, if you look at the possibilities how to train networks, um, the most inefficient way is the normal CPU, uh, yeah. single core CPU. Mm-hmm. Um, then you go to multi-core, the Xeon processors of Intel are already quite powerful in, in, uh, in getting deep learning to work, I mean, in an efficient way. And then you go to uh, the GPU, which is, of course, the powerhouse for deep learning. Mm-hmm. And depending on, the, on the, the use case, as we call it, um, you can have edge compute or you can have the necessity to calculate deep learning models on, on the edge, uh, really for instance, in the street where a camera is just pointed at, at, at the crowd. Because you can't upload all that yeah, data yeah, yeah. and it's too And too then, slow. then yeah. that's what we call embedded deep learning. So wow. in embedded deep learning, there is there are plenty of possibilities. Uh, you have the ASICs provided by the, the big Silicon Valley companies. Intel is providing Movidius. Okay. Um, NVIDIA is providing Xavier, the Jetson TX2, TK1, TX1, and so on. And... Um, then you have ASICs, and ASICs are actually, uh, I said already, FPGAs, eh? No, you didn't oh, mention no, that word yet, so So then you have the FPGA providers, okay. uh, Intel uh, and Xilinx. And what's an FPGA? Uh, it's a field programmable uh, gate array. So it's okay. actually a, a, a network of connections that you can configure in such a way that it actually yeah, can, can mimic the, the real-time flow of information go to a, to a neural network. Oh, wow. So it's it's actually meant for low power, um, quasi real-time applications. And it's the it's 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 programmed in um, in, a, in a language called VHDL. Um, okay. And actually there is quite a renowned party um, not so far from here, E6, uh, Ramses Falvicus, maybe you know them. They're mm-hmm. top expert in the world in FPGA programming. And they're called E6 E6, yeah, I will uh, yeah, put, yeah. give you the link. Yeah, cool. Uh, and, and they try to box together with, with us um, orchestration systems where this kind of generation of models for embedded devices are um, much more easy than to start programming yourself. You understand? So yeah. our platform will be a hub uh, between on-prem, cloud, embedded, and so on. So you just focus on the core thing which is getting intelligence out of your data and then you are in the midst of opportunities you can just derive an embedded model from it mm-hmm. you can send it to the cloud this is ready like on-prem and cloud we already cover but the embedded things like fpga uh, generation of vhdl is something we work out with partners such as e6 cool all right um, that maybe that brings us to the future of this field how, how do you see this evolving um, well, anything between here and let's say the quantum computers, do you do you see prices go down? Or, yeah. Or, yeah, prices will go down. Yeah. I mean, prices will go down, and it will be completely commoditized. Like the way we are like talking about AI is is now something special and 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 part of the hype cycle. Yeah, but it will be as normal as electricity soon. Um, for instance, take the Espressif ESP32 chip which is a chip which costs a few dollars, which has Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, it has multiple cores, it can do pretty advanced calculations, it can do face recognition, you can now buy a smart camera based on this chip, Um, and it's just a few dollars. I mean, imagine that 
yeah, it will go down in price even more. And it's just everywhere. It will be in, in TL tubes. It will be in, in, in this wooden table even. So, so what we will see is, is, is everything smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, quite an exciting future. I, I, I guess that also raises some privacy concerns there if everything becomes yes. smart. And, yeah, then and we, how do you look at that? Are you concerned at all? Or? Yes, I am. I mean, um, I am concerned about my privacy and, and, and about the future evolutions about it. But I think that there is another technology that will have a breakthrough soon called the blockchain, which will yeah. solve a lot of these issues. You believe the blockchain will solve your privacy issues? Yes, we're talking with multinationals, very big multinationals that you know, yeah. to combine blockchain and deep learning to make sure that people that are involved in clinical studies, for instance, uh, have a mathematical security that their data is only used where they choose that it will be used. Yeah, okay. Can you explain how that will work exactly then? Uh well, imagine that uh, for, for a neural network, even yeah. for us, uh, if we have a hundred images of a new species and we look at these hundred images and, and then we can find that species ourselves in the wild. We, we can find an undiscovered animal in Sumatra or something. Yeah. That's how deep learning works and that's how we work ourselves. We just have examples and then we just absorb the knowledge and we don't, we need, we don't need these examples any longer. To just apply that knowledge mm -hmm. and what we i lost lost my thread now but um how, how the blockchain helps ah, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 imagine that you just split an image uh, which are pixel values yeah, yeah. Uh, with an arbitrary formula in two so you have two noisy pictures and if you add them up it's it's just the normal picture yeah that's how federated deep learning works it it's just does plenty of sophisticated stuff with the root data so nobody can listen into the learning process and and and, and steal your data you understand mm -hmm. so if you encrypt close enough to the agent then you can not just download the data set of that agent okay all right not sure i fully understand but i completely believe you if that's going to solve yeah. some privacy issues there um maybe brings us to the next topic of lessons learned you've been in the field for quite a while now i mean you clearly had quite some successes there must have been a few misses as well um, both for you and your clients is there something we can share like what are clients when you go to clients for the first time what are some of the things they, they consistently don't understand or get wrong about ai is, is there a pattern there um yeah they, they believe in it too much Okay. Uh, many clients believe that it's magic. So I mean, feet on the ground. It's not magic. It's 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 advanced. It's mathematics on steroids. I mean, we are also <laughs> mathematics on steroids, but very complicated uh, and engineered by Darwinism. But um, what is important is that you start small. That you just start from a small success. I mean, the biggest failures in my career were when the ambitions were too huge too too soon in the project because then tension arises customer expectation levels your own resources so it's it's always important to cut a complicated thing into pieces and to come up with successes yeah in in, in short steps yeah. that's that's one of the big lessons learned yeah i really like that advice because that's also the advice that we give to our clients is like uh, whatever you do do it in small steps don't don't yeah. 
I still see so many clients making these big year, three year long plans. And by the end of the three years, they will be in the Nirvana or in the Valhalla and it will deliver all the value at once. Yes. That has never, ever happened. (laughs) It's always, it's good that you have a great vision because you should have a vision of where you want to take your company and and, and how do you want to serve your customers. But then knowing that vision and knowing where we are today, what is the next step, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a super important one. Think partnerships. There's also a lesson learned. Uh, um, far too often we meet customers that want to solve all their problems themselves because they believe that you know, they can own all the IP and so on and, and stuff. But this market is moving so fast that it's only to the companies that are open to smart partnerships to keep up the pace of this fast-moving market. Mm-hmm. Again, I really don't want to just blindly echo what you say, but that's exactly my experience as well. I, I, I do understand where, where, where these clients come from, because let's be honest, you also have plenty of, let's say, consultancies or whatever you, you want to call them that come in and they they really just want to sell a whole bunch of crap to clients without educating the clients, or without helping the clients or without bringing them to the next level. They just want to sell their product and be out again. Right? And yes. in the end, the client, when, when, when the partner leaves, well, partner leaves again, the client's like, what did we gain exactly from this exchange? Yes. Well, yes. I think it's super important. And I guess you guys are doing that as well. When you come into a client, it's not just delivering the project. It's also educating the clients, right? It's, it's yes, bringing yes. them to the yeah. next level. Right? That brings me to the third advice. Okay. Um, sometimes your client is expert in a field. Yeah. but has hidden inconsistencies in his expertise. Okay. Meaning that, uh, for instance, if you have to have to grade the quality of wood, for instance, of this wood, yeah. uh, if you have four experts that tell something different about this quality, you will end up with something fairly inconsistent. Of course. But it will not be apparent because if you look at these people once after another, if they do a batch, it makes sense. But if you bring together inconsistencies, you get an inconsistent model. And it, I guess your solution sometimes um, um, uh, show those inconsistencies or discover those in, uh, inconsistencies. I, I'm blanking out on the word here, but they, they just lay them bare or whatever. Uh, aren't some clients then threatened by, by what you bring? Because of course. Are you challenging my expertise? Yes, I've been yes. in this wood making business yes. for 10 years and you, yeah, Mr. Exactly. It leads to tensions because you try to be really rigorous and hard but then these experts are not always having availability to do boring jobs like labeling data. Yeah. And then it comes only apparent at the presentation of your results. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah. And how, how do you deal with that tension? Well, we try to be as transparent as possible and explain it while the project is moving on. But yeah. sometimes it's, it's challenging. I mean, we haven't solved that issue yet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And so may, maybe to wrap up, looking forward for you and the company and the field what are your ambitions for the next year what do you hope to achieve really to consolidate this platform as a reference platform for the value proposition we bring this whole customer journey in deep learning onto this large um, ecosystems of our partners uh, google cloud azure microsoft nvidia on-prem uh, that's that's our amb- ambition. Bring all of these things together, then you mean? Yes. Or, yeah. Yes. All right. Cool. That's a, a brave ambition. Well, Jonathan, uh, our time is up. Thank you very much for sharing your insights. I I learned a lot today, so I I hope some of the viewers did as well. 
And uh, well, we'll definitely see each other around. Yes, Chris. Thank, thank you very you. much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, man. Stop, stop.